Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we start, I'd like to thank you all, listeners and supporters. This week is another one-off episode to let us cool down, and it is an interview with Johan Andersons from Paradox Interactive for all your history game fans. We will see you soon again for more Eastern Border content, and keep an eye out for a winter Q&A coming soon. My my friend from America won't be here because it's it's just too light too too light from him for him and so so yeah. he can't he can't actually arrive at this moment but this uh, will go to both of our podcasts both Lesser Bonaparte and the Eastern Border and yeah. I, I hope it will be fun and I have prepared a bunch of questions uh, for you uh, and I asked some people on, on Reddit what what would they like to hear from you as well. Yeah, and I and I think I will not bother you with with uh, the the most requested question ever is obviously about Victoria Three and uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't I, think you you want to talk about that any, anymore. No, I can't even talk about it uh, because I can't comment about games that are not released yet or or even yeah. announced. Yeah, but okay. or even started or anything like that. So. <clears throat> Mr. Johan, I I would have to ask you first as um, yeah. as we we. We go on this uh, this show, which we, which you're on right now. Well, it's two shows actually. One of them is just a humorous history show. Other one is specifically about our region. Well, yeah. mostly my region, but you're right, like next door to it. So uh, the first, and it's all about history, concerning history. So I like to ask you, how how deep do you go into history when you're making your games? Basically, how much how how much do you do your research? Do you have a team that actually researches history for you? Uh, we don't have a specific team researching history. I mean, most of the designers and content people research quite a lot when doing things. I mean, everyone has their nice libraries of books to read. I mean, you can find stuff on the internet, but books is where it's at, so. Well, I have to agree with you. I have to agree with you here. I'm, I'm personally reading some, some more about Stalin. You know, you, whenever you speak about Soviet Union, you have to focus on Stalin. Yeah. And I have to ask you, uh, I, I have played your games quite a lot. I didn't, I did a whole new playthrough as, uh, as Sweden just yesterday because of this show. Yeah. And I have to, and then, by the way, I have to ask you, were there some things that actually happened in history? 
and that you researched but you didn't include in your games, and I, I speak about any game, Crusader Kings, Victoria, Europe Universalis, Hearts of Iron, that happened in history but you couldn't include in the game because of the limitations of, of the game design. There, There's lots and lots and lots of those. Some are because they don't really make for fun stuff. I mean, you don't add trivial stuff like how things worked inside the city when you, you're making a game that's about on a grand statue level, for example, and some type of features are not really fun for the player, even if it, if there's things that happened. So there's plenty of those things you have to take into consideration. It's like, at what level do you abstract away history? Yeah, and one of the more interesting additions recently was that you switched to institutions instead of, in the EU4, switched to institutions instead of the old tech groups. And uh, that, that, is, that, that basically represents the historical accuracy more. Now, the question here is, to what level did you, did you think, did you, why seven institutions? Why did you settle at this number? Why, why did you choose this, this separation line here in EU4? Because these institutions are like, kind of mar marked moments in history, but some of them are very, very abstract, like Enlightenment for one, and uh, some are really concrete, like the printing press, for, for example. Yeah. Well, uh, the thing is, like, you can't have too many of them, because if you have too many, then they must have less impact, and, and seven is like one of those magic numbers, not because it, there's any inherent magic but it's more like a uh, human nature humans are pretty good at evaluating seven different things so it's a we so it's, so it's a thing that you keep trying to divide stuff into seven whenever you can unless you can settle with three um but so we took them and then we basically wanted to have one institution that happens fairly soon after the start and then we thought, like, well, every 50 years, that's a good speed, speed off. And then, yeah, then we get seven. And then why did we pick the certain ones with the names? It was because what I, what I personally felt fitted the time period the best and fitted different, like, strength of different, uh, regions, like, the Renaissance is to give uh, conflict and boosts and focus on Italy, while you have like colonialism gives benefits to the countries that are raising for the colonies. So you want to have those different flows and in different institution areas. Well, uh, but when talking about talking about places and institutions, I do have to say personal thank you for making Kurland a formable country. It was very important for us players living here in Riga. Because now oh, we have cool. something. Now we have something to form, actually. And yeah. May, may, but maybe, as you know, uh, we we used to be a part of the Swedish Empire for a while. Yeah, hundred years or something. Hundred yeah. years. And and weirdly enough, it's remembered as over here. It's remembered as one of the best periods of our history. You know, we were being conquered by everyone, but but you guys were considered the most like the the, the best of our conquerors here. Because uh, Riga was rich, and we earned money, and we like to build universities. Yeah, that was that was pretty nice. <laughs> or, or, or more like it was the the Russians that came out there, so they, it made, was, they made us look good. 
it was it was all complicated. And talking about rig, I, uh, I ha- and Christmas is coming, by the way. So um, I have to ask, and this this comes from a Latvian lis- Latvian listener here. Um, you do you do know that the Riga has a very decent claim on the first document that decorated Christmas tree and a massive party associated with it, right? Like modern okay. era pine tree. It it apparently happened in 1492 when the local blackheads uh, blackheads guild in Riga, which is foreign merchant merchants guild, made their first huge public celebration and and uh, decorated the Christmas tree and put presents under it. So Riga has a very good claim on that. If you're thinking about new events for uh, our our region, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, it, that it, it of course should give ten percent discipline for the rest of campaign. <laughs> but uh, no, this no. is silly. This is silly. I, I know discipline bonuses are overrated, and uh, it's one of the more abstract concepts because I, I really am fascinated by how you take the historical realities and apply them in game. For example, discipline bonuses and all these things. Did you evaluate, for example, like the famous Prussian army and for for their discipline, or Frederick the Great, and then, well, came up with this concept of discipline? Basically, how do you combine historical realities with these abstract concepts? Uh, how do you come up with how 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 do you come up with these national idea groups for for places? In this case? How? Oh, that's a good question. Brainstorming. And I mean, how does I how how do it's hard to explain how, because it's like people get the ideas and feels like, yeah, this is what's fitting, and then pe- then we read and read and read about various countries. I mean, Prussia is easy to make ideas for. I mean, most people know about the Prussians and have stereotypes of how they behave and look. And, but Taungu, uh, like how do we ma- uh, give them national ideas, or like independence against what? Do you give that one? Oh, I under I understand you quite well because you see we call our show Lesser Bonaparts because we like to look at the lesser known parts of history. We did a we did a series on Ethiopia and then there was one on the Ashanti Empire and in, uh, in in Africa. So when you when you look when you look into these lesser known from European perspective countries, you find a lot of interesting things there and. Uh, I think it's I think it's very important that your games truly do bring the attention to those other places about which we don't know so much in history, and that's a, that's a shame, really. Yeah, it's a great thing. Um, another question is is about Crusader Kings, which is which is one of the games that is mostly mostly played by our listeners. They're all they all somehow like to play big Byzantium and try to get even bigger. Um, why the Theodosian walls are there at the beginning, and you know, it's kind of... One one thing that I'm always worried is the fact that you can still pretty easily breach Constantinople in Crusader Kings 2, even though it had these Theodosian walls. I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm glad that she even put them in, but they, they still just take a few few thousand men, I think. I think this is one of the like realities of history that would be, would be really hard to implement, because if you would make Constantinople unconquerable in Crusader King's timeline, it would kind of break the game, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, it's those things you have to do as abstractions. Well, yeah, it's interesting. And uh, also, I have to thank you for, uh, especially specifically in Crusader King's, our region follows the Ramuva religion there, which is weird because uh, I a spoiler alert for our listeners. That's the Lithuanian name for it. 
Not yeah, Latvian well, one, you know. I I understand. I understand. You you got half of the things right, except par uh, except our Parkons is your Thor, more analog more analogously, and yeah. Dios is basically Odin because we, um, you know, back in the day we were quite closely related. Then yeah. Again, then again, Kuronians sh- uh, the, do Kuronians have the capability of raiding in Crusader things? I don't know. They they totally should though. I got no clue about the... Crusader Kings? No, no, I mean, I don't know the details of it, every single thing in Crusader Kings. Oh. There's so much stuff there. Is there is there anything you would like to put in any of your games that are not there yet? From the historical uh, perspective, definitely. I mean, is there something that you're planning on? I mean, and not not like patches, like Denmark patch for, for Europa or, or the... The latest one I have played is Conclave for Crusader Kings, but something that that is is in the making that is really very history based that you want to detail out more. Not really, not that, not anything. We haven't. It's like when we come up with ideas, we get them in as soon as possible, or just discard them. But there's nothing where I really like go. Oh, this is something I want to add. Hmm. Interestingly, interestingly enough, I I'm, I'm very surprised about your company because you are one of the one of the greats out there who still produce content and patches and DLCs for games made years ago. I mean, I recently played Crusader Kings and then I understood that I started playing Grand Strategies with Crusader Kings too, and you know there are still expansions coming out for it. Yeah. For how long do you plan to support your games? Because that's one of your greatest features there. there uh, I think for as long as people keep buying. I guess so. How would you? And when you when you think about it, I know that our listeners play your games and buy your games because they are fans of history. And I know that some people have come to listen to our show because they've played your games. And I think it's I think it's quite important to to note that your games really do have an impact on at least at least part of modern population of of male the of our of our gaming culture. Of making them interested in history, so I'd like to thank you for this one. Did, did you think it would have such a, have some, such an impact? Because it really, yeah. it really is huge. We didn't really think about it because we, we we just wanted to make fun historical games, the games we want to play ourselves. It's like no no other plans. We just keep doing stuff with, for to make games we want to play. Yeah, and I don't know how how many people. Basically, according to Steam, play these games. I mean, I I think it's a niche niche thing, really. I yeah. Mean, I don't know. I I how it's hard to explain. For example, when when I when my wife looks at looks at what I'm doing, then I have to explain, honey, I'm I'm staring at the map for 16 hours and it's fun. I don't know which which game is is the most fun for you. Play. Of the ones we of the ones we've made. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, it's... Currently I'm alternating between Stellaris and Europanosalis, so... Or, as in Europanosalis 4, but... It's been different through the years. It's like... But I, I guess it's... I think the Europanosalis series has always been closest to my heart. Oh. Uh, and this, this question comes uh, from our listeners again. How did you come up with the Monarch Point idea? And the, the, uh, it, it caused a lot of controversy in the beginning, 
and I was skeptical about it myself, because I like the sliders. But I've grown used to it, and it seems so so natural and, and awesome. I really like the new Monarch Point idea, but what, what what decisions did you make in transition from EU3 to EU4 that, that made you uh, adopt this Monarch Point idea? Like, with, with, with uh, rulers influencing countries directly. Yeah. Uh, well, it was we wanted an anti-snowballing mechanic, and uh, the thing is that modern power really doesn't scale. I mean, you can be a super powerful uh, country controlling half the a continent, but you're still not going to get more modern power than a small minor power. So you can balance that much much easier, and you can make trade-offs between things and. It works. It's a great anti-snowballing mechanic. And uh, the thing is that, I don't know, what, what I try to do in Europe Universalis games, because my period is, I'm, I'm also mostly Europe Universalis player, with Crusader Kings being close second, and sadly in Hearts of Iron, I, 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 I can't manage your front lines. I'm sorry. Hearts oh. of Iron is a bit beyond me. I have tried to play it. But it, it is it is a bit too complex. Vicky Vicky is very nice to do, but I, I always try to ma- maintain this this uh, balance of power thing. I, d- I don't know. Other players go for world conquest, playing as the Ottomans or or trying to unite Holy Roman Empire. But I'm one of these people who like to start maybe sometimes at, at later dates and try to maintain this 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 balance of power thing, and you know be. Playing through the actual Seven Years' War for one was was very interesting for me. But yeah. the, the the question is, and I I'm really thankful for the for your great power mechanics. Those were great in this. But uh, oh. I have to, I have to ask you this this one question, which really struck me. For example, uh, when Napoleon conquered the these Italy and he had to make a deal with Austria, he traded Venice in a peace deal for something and. Well, the one feature that I, I've always wanted to see, and I don't know how to be implemented, is why why can't you trade things in peace deals? Because that's that's what happened historically. Why, why can't you just give away a province for for something else? Uh, is that that's that maybe is a game design question, but that's a thing that that strikes me as most like mostly not historical about the games, even though I'm, I'm a huge fan, but. You know, I, I would love there, to sometimes trade away some province on my outer rim for, for something else. It's a bit of a... It doesn't just double the complexity of the AI evaluation. It makes it too, like, exponentially mm. more complex when you have two ways, things like that. So it's basically would cripple the AI. Um, it would also... It also is a slight problem to do it with the current architecture we have. It's yeah, but I don't know. I think it would be, I think it would be quite abusable as well at one point from gaming perspective. But yeah, I don't know. I, I have noticed that you try to fight all sorts of you know rules abuses so far. You even hired DDRJ, our, our most famous streamer, who had probably discovered most of these things. Uh, yeah. is, is that is that a is that a policy to eliminate all of these weird abuses such as I don't, yeah I don't like I don't like thing. abuses I want like people to follow the rules rules and play the game with within the rules to be as powerful as possible 
Yeah, I know. And uh, one one question comes into mind is that uh, why are, is is what are you doing? Is that you're making world conquest harder and harder each time? Because I know there are some players out there who just want want to play to conquer everything. And now world conquest hasn't been made harder in a long time. It's more that they removed weird exploits. Yeah, I guess so. But I don't know. It's actually far easier to do a world conquest now than it was at release if you disregard uh, the AI being improved. I, I guess so, but one, one thing that interests me is that a lot of players really play these games as a massive blobbing simulator. And uh, for those few of you, few of you who don't yet play Paradox games, you totally should. And uh, blobbing is is the term there for uh, you know, picking fronts and painting so the map blue. But I don't know. It's kind of I, I don't know. Uh, is there is there plans? Because are there plans for making the the game the, the tall gameplay more interesting? I have seen that you have been trying to achieve this, and and that that's very successful lately with with all the dynamic events and parliament mechanics and all that. Uh, do you have more plans on making the tall play the tall play more more viable? Because I'm a historical player, and when I have my historical borders as brush, I don't want to expand further. I want to kind of play the world police around or something. Can we expect yeah, something of that? We always want to encourage tall play, but the thing is, it's hard to, if, if there's always going to be better to conquer things, or not always, but that's, it has to be better to conquer stuff, else you will not have any wars. Yeah, I agree with all of that. No, and uh, this, is, this is one of my favorites, because I'm going through the list here. When will Ulm get her national ideas? I uh, don't think so. I don't like Ulm. You don't like it's... Ulm? No, it's one of these uh, forum memes, and I'm like, what's so special about that city? Oh, oh, oh. It's it's a bit strange because I thought I thought it was a, it was a favorite for everyone since that musical came out. No, it was just a joke. I guess so. What what is your favorite country to play besides Sweden, of course? Uh, I like playing Poland. Poland's fun. I like Britain. If you're talking E4, I like I like playing Austria, Poland, Britain, like in the middle of something. Uh, I like playing Poland and Crusader Kings. Hmm. it's. I mostly play allied countries. Uh, I don't know. It's I I'd, I'd say probably Poland is the country I I'd like to play the most in the games. Well, yeah, Poland Poland is a really interesting choice, both in Crusader Kings and and Europe Universalis. In Hearts of Iron, though, it usually gets gets smashed really easy. Yeah, but that's one of the fun part in Hearts of Iron. Yeah, building up Poland and winning. Well, <laughs> I remember back in the day, uh, when in Hearts of Iron 2, me yeah. and my me, we we tried to make Latvia survive as long as possible. We had the strategy that you had to you had to basically conquer Estonia for no reason, really, really quickly. Then then you had to join uh, join the faction and then. We had a whole scheme, and it only worked in multiplayer, and only if the other power was really big and helped out. But we did it. 
It was weird. Uh, by the way, interesting. Another question is, how do you come up with with the, these kingdom tiles and crusader kings and the formable countries in Europa Universalis? Because some of them are, I have to say, somewhat strange uh, at at points. Because, for example, Livonia is a releasable country, even though, well, there was never a Livonia as as a country, so to speak. No, but in the, in the, in the EU, each culture needs to have a tag or a country. Oh, so so Livonia is sort of your Latvian culture tag, Latvian yeah, Estonian. Think, okay. Yeah. Well, it's it's weird. Didn't didn't think of it this way. Uh, people. Uh, have, that's why it's a Sami country, and they don't even have a country these days. And, oh. Well, poor Sami. I've visited there. Do you plan on adding more formable countries, for example? Like, uh, basically, uh, people have been asking about, like, Angevin Empire, for example, the, the old one, and, and, but, but that, that kind of goes out. How far in the, in the fantasy realm are you gonna go? Because, well, you know, Scandinavia is formable, even though, uh, to be honest, I don't know what historical miracles should have happened for you guys to stick together. Uh... To uh, not being attacked by Prussia in 1860. I don't know. Well, I have I have a bunch of Swedish listeners and a bunch of listeners from Denmark, and you you guys seem to be the the friendly on the friendly rival territory at all times. Yeah, uh, it was about there was this like Scandinavian unification movement, you know, when Germany and Italy got united. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Swedish uh, army and Swedish king basically uh, covered out when the Prussians attacked Denmark over Holstein and didn't send enough troops or any help, and that was basically the end of solidarity and unification. Oh wow! Well, that, that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a shame. Well, over yeah. here in Latvia, we got it a bit worse. We were conquered by, hmm, let's see now, Poland, Lithuania, you guys, Russia. Oh, the the Teutonic Knights at one point. <laughs> we've been we've been basically through everything, and uh, I don't yeah. know. R- Riga as a playable country is one of the hardest things to do. So, uh, yeah, this this one for me. Why did you why did you g- gave us an achievement like Terra Mariana? I have been trying to get that for a. Uh, for a while now, but it's a bit hard. You should ask uh, Jake that one because he was playing uh, the Teutonic Order achievement or whatever earlier on a live stream and managed to lose dramatically to a Riga led coalition. Which is completely strange. Yeah. I don't know. So there's a joke uh, around at the office where, like, Riga is uh, Jake's nemesis. Oh boy! Don't don't tell him that you're doing an interview with me. It's, it's gonna be scary. But they, they, no, were, uh, they were gonna get hit with the Nerf bat. Uh, no, it was uh, kind of a, kind of funny. Was uh, uh, he he went to Riga with some friends, like I think it was sometime this year, and he comes back wearing these T-shirts with "I love Riga" on them that he has for the streams. Oh wow! He should have told me earlier. I'd, I'd give him a tour. What we do have yeah. in Riga, though, and if you guys ever come here, we have a 
And this is about the Heart of Iron series. We actually do have a functioning KGB museum here. Like oh. About they they took the old KGB building and they turned it into a museum where you can yeah. see all the prisons and everything. And that that's what I take my guests there. And sometimes my guests my guests bring me weird things. I have Sturstroming in my fridge and I'm afraid to open it. I always saw them some sort of military museum in in Riga that was in the looked like a round tower. Oh that that's a war museum, yes. That actually yeah, that, that actually was part of the city fortifications during the Hanseatic era. Yeah, it's a pretty that's a pretty cool uh museum. Mm. It was a lot of, uh, there's no elevators in it, and it was kind of like, or I couldn't find one, and like carrying a child up and down all the stairs were a bit challenging. <laughs> well, such things do happen. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you for visiting, but yeah, if, if any of you Paradox ever want to visit Riga, let me know, I'll take you on a guided tour, no questions mm-hmm. asked and everything. Because that, that, that's what I promised every every listener of mine, and, and get, you you would be special guests here. But uh, back back to the back to the questions here. Uh, yeah. this, um, this one is going to be about Victoria Two, mostly. Yeah. And the weird thing is, you you released a patch uh, a few years ago, the three point four patch. I, I I remember, and I I know that there is is some movement there, and. Uh, there are a lot of unification nations there, and you know these crises and and coalitions. Are there any? And I, I've seen that you have introduced great powers in European Versailles Four, and that's directly taken from Victoria too. As far as I I understand this, it's the same eight powers and stuff. Did you plan on adding anything more from from that game in the political sense there? Because formable countries in EU4 are the same as in Victoria, for example, you can form a very early Germany. I always mm-hmm. though presume it would be more of, more or less a confederation. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Because, you know, imperialism and nationalism kind of isn't there yet in, in the time period. Yeah. Uh, 
well, not that I can think of. No, can't remember any plans or so for that those things. Oh, but that, that's a shame because some sort of crises would would be interesting. People reacting to these independence movements. Recently, yeah. we've been doing a doing a show on the Mexican Revolution, and previously we we have talked about the Southern American Revolution, which happened in the in the early early nineteenth century. We haven't tried to play those countries, but how do you go with adding dynamic historical events to these smaller countries, which are like interesting? Do you add them when you look at the region, or or do you do you just add them randomly by brainstorming things? If, if someone reads some book and finds out that something interesting happened, and then you add this historical event to a country, basically, uh, how do you decide what country gets historical events more? Uh that's we're basically based on like. How popular the countries are to play, which ones they are feel like should have the events, which ones are most fun to write for. There's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of different reasons. Okay, what would be, what would be your most, um, most disliked mechanic? Something that that you feel like you you didn't work throughout work out completely and maybe you have patched it since but in Crusader Kings Europe Universals any game really because I'm I'm a fanatic and I've played all of them but uh, what's your most disliked mechanic that you would like to change and what do you think is your your most most like most successful mechanic in in any of these games that that kind of depicts your vision of the game most Weather system in Hotline Three. Oh, that was bad. It was enormous amount of uh, time to do. I don't know. Uh, I I heard by the way that the first European Versailles game came from a board game. Is is that true? Yeah, it was a board game. Uh, doesn't really have all that much in common, except that it's played on like a map of provinces, and you have a complex economy and move troops and have historical events. So you. But it was a game that was published in the early nineties. We bought the license to to make computer games and so. Oh wow! So you just you just sat around, played that game, and figured that you you needed to make a huge historical simulator going on here. Yeah. What would be, and then this is about uh, this is about Crusader Kings. Uh, how long do you plan on on um, on on make, basically? Do you plan on expanding the map even further? Because I have a listener from Hong Kong, who also yeah. makes a history of China podcast, and you know he speaks about the in-depth history of that region. Do you plan on expanding the map in Crusader Kings even further east at some point? Uh, I don't think so. No, well, that is a that is a shame because may, maybe I don't know Chinese. You you don't think Chinese history would get into this, or is it a mechanical question? Uh, it's a it's more a mechanical thing, more like um. I don't know. It's a lot of, a lot of work as well. Like China is huge, and I'm not sure most computers can handle it. 
how do you do you balance by the way the games for multiplayer what's what's the main intent uh, is like i know the games are not balanced at all technically I mean, basically if one play it, it's oh. by nature if one plays as france and another guy tries to play as an irish miner in in any game really it's it's not going to be the same experience so they're not balanced in the same way uh, and they shouldn't be but did you how how much do you think about the multiplayer experience when you when you design these things or or is it mainly focused on the single player there oh i'd say mainly focused on the single player yeah because i don't know it doesn't it doesn't seem the same because on multiplayer the players always just pick military ideas and don't think about don't think about much uh one other thing that i would like to know is how much time did you spend on on these these new features that are go- going to come in? For example, these new expansions, and I'm really excited about the the Mystics thing for Crusader Kings. And uh, how much time did you spend actually sitting down on on working on on patches and, and fixing things that you might not like? Oh, that doesn't really have an answer. Because there's that changes every single week, oh. so it's it doesn't really have any good answers because there's no set time for either thing, really. Mm. Things takes the time they need to take time. Well, um, by the way, and interestingly enough, do you? I have heard a rumor that you guys in Paradox that you hate Byzantium. In Europe, Universalis. Not in Crusader Kings. In Crusader Kings, you, you love Byzantium, but I have heard that, you know, uh, despite the, all the fans that you dislike Byzantium for some reason. Now, can you, is this true? Uh, if we had disliked Byzantium, the game would have started in 1453. The day after Byzantium is, uh, Oh, wow. I don't know. I have I have tried this and I have played Byzantium numerous times, and it's getting diff- it's getting harder and harder in each playthrough. But I do have to say to, especially you, especially you, John, who just started playing this game, that's the fun. If Byzantium would be easy, then there would be no fun in it. Nope. It's supposed to be a challenging start. Yeah, a new player should not be able to. Uh, Get the Basileus achievement in uh, easily. It should it should take a little bit. Yeah, well, right right now it takes a bit of luck too, and possibly eight to nine restarts. Well, that, yeah. that, that, that's how it works. Uh, about diplomacy, there, uh, the new spy network mechanic, and your attempts on making the spies more efficient. Uh, yeah. How how did how did this come from? Because I don't know, I thought spying mechanics were pretty okay previously, but then again, I'm one of these weird people who actually took espionage as it was, you know, originally, as it came out. But it, it was boring. The old espionage system. Hmm. I don't know, then then I have a question to you. What what makes a fun feature for you? Like, how do you define the fun... How, what's, what's the most fun feature then in your games, and how, how do you define what is fun? Uh, fun is when it's a choice. Choice between, and where it's a real choice and there's no obvious A and B, and it's a challenge to reach the, that position. Hmm. 
I, I guess so. Well, yeah, that that kind of explains things. Especially what I really like is what you what you did with the republics. Even though, uh, even though every player that I know takes grabs republican tradition every time and then then gets punished for it, but republics are really fun to play. I don't know. I I play Hamburg a lot personally, but uh, a question is about merchant merchant republics. Will they get their faction mechanics some somehow changed to estates like everyone else, or is the faction mechanic there to stay? Because I like it, I like it personally. Factions are you know fun, fun to manage, just like just like the Ming. So will will they get estates at one point? And I hope not. Yeah. So they, they so they won't get estates. No, I don't think so. What do you think is the most challenging country to play in in each of the games, like Crusader Kings, Europa, Wiki, and then Hearts of Iron? From from non Europe. Well, from your for Europa, it's it's Ryukyu for some reason, but I don't know what 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 makes Ryukyu so special there. No, Ryukyu is not the most challenging. There's other OPMs with worse ideas uh, these days. Um, the, I'd say probably. I don't know. Starting as a, there's some uh, Sorastrians or so, small, uh, almost eradicated tribes in the Crusader Kings that are hard start. You have uh, let's see, uh, Luxembourg and Hotchiron is a bit challenging. Just, just slightly. Yeah, it's basically, you're not going to survive. You can't survive with them. The, the weird, the weird part is, I don't know, about the, the trade politics and everything. I remember you once had, the, and this this is a question that again comes from listeners, in EU4 you had trade mechanics and at one point you had this Western European trade node. Why did it have to go? Because now it's now now the trade ends in Seville. Now 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 trade ends only in the English Channel, Genoa, and Venice. It previously ended also in Bordeaux but... and and uh, Seville, if I remember. I think it ends in Genoa. Genoa, English Channel, and Venice. Yeah, it now ends there, but it used to end in different places. How do you determine these end nodes? Uh, discussions and balance talks and. Looking at the various different ways, because yeah, I don't know. West Western European node was, was something where everyone everyone kind of went. Yeah. And uh, by the way, in Crusader Kings about about these these weird empires, do you do you plan on on putting something like these um, these ideas ideas for for people like for dynasties or for places for cultures in there too, or or at eventually at some point or not? I, I understand the Crusader Kings is mostly about people, but but it, or or is it is it depicted by the traits mechanic more? Because I I don't I just don't know. If I'm playing a king and and his culture his culture just feels kind of the same except the special soldiers. Um, I don't know. It's so hard. I was just thinking like, what is important, the actual character or the different traits? I guess it's the character, really. 
Yeah, and it, but he kills Cthulhu yes, and no, I'm happy. Yes, no, yes, no. It's like I'm flipping. I can't decide. Oh wow! I I really love the fantasy events in in Crusader Kings, uh, but but they are somewhat missing from other games. So uh, what what uh, why did you put them there and they haven't reappeared since in EU4 or or Victoria? For example, the, the hole in the ground. I, I like it personally because it's a nice way how, how you can depict the medieval mystical thinking of the peoples there. I'm yeah, not... it fits in that area, but I don't think fantasy fits all that well the late you become it, the late you go through in history. Hmm. Well, I don't know. And uh, maybe I'm new to this because I haven't played that much of the old games, but. Uh, could you please explain the Comet Sighted event for me? Mm, just, uh... No, it's just, why, why, why does it have so many choices there to do the same thing? Is, 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 how did this start? I know it had to start somewhere that you made the uh, joke. People were complaining about it then during year 3 that uh, we have no choice in this event. Why can't we have a choice? And we added a choice. And then you added some more choices. Yeah. Every expansion we added a choice. Because people wanted choice. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a basic that's a basic thing. Uh, yeah. Talking about talking about these things, how do you how do you form for example, Sweden has a lot of lot of these these uh, ideas ideas there that give permanent bonuses and I want to talk about the the balance of, of bonuses there. For a while, people thought that you know discipline was the most important thing in the game, and a lot of people think so too. And now it's morale, and uh, there are countries that basically run on on these bonuses in EU4 or or in, fo or in weird focuses in uh, in Hearts of Iron, where they get powerful bonuses from their, from their focuses, which which would be the most like important bonus that you want to do. And I I, I know I know that you try to balance the bonuses in-game between each other more than you try to balance specific countries between each other, but I don't know. If if you would give an advice for an EU4 player to stack something and, and focus on, on a bonus, what would that be? Except discipline, because I, I think discipline is a bit overrated. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure which values are really truly the most powerful, because it depends on your point of view and what you're playing. Well, I don't know. Prestige seems very important. I always, I always read about these these people who who somehow manage to get their power projection to 100 at all times and prestige at 100 at all times. And then I sit there after the after the reformation, look at my minus 70, and on my endless missions to like improve my prestige. And then and then I'm sad. <laughs> no, but yeah, you need. You need to think of like how do you gain prestige and how you lose it and constantly work on having it high. Yeah, but in, in Crusader Kings I mean it, it is kind of the same same thing. You in Crusader Kings you have piety and prestige and I think that's that sort of moves into EU four and and about but for example about the, the converter uh, do you how do you how do you fix things like these, the incompatibilities in converter? And then how do you, like, uh, in the Crusader Kings to Europe yourselves for Converter, you've put a lot of these fantasy elements back in. Do you have a special team for the Converter, or, or is the Converter kind of like 
most fun things to play and will we get more converters in the future? I want to make more converters, but uh, they're not the funniest work task for people because maintaining them is a lot of work. Oh, because obviously they have to follow patches in, in not one game, but whole two games at all times. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, there was a period when I when I converted my, my Rome and discovered that in Anatolia I have a bunch of Ottoman one Ottoman provinces, which are Ottomans now, which was a bit crazy. But wait, uh, a question about restoring Rome. Why did you add that one in? Just because people asked you to do it, and it's ridiculously hard to do so, but uh, did people really want Rome so badly? Uh, yeah. It is a bit. It is a bit strange because they already have one Rome and and the Byzantium there, but uh... no, people people have different opinions there. Oh wow! Yeah. And uh, finally, talking about Stellaris, uh, there there yeah. are these. I haven't played with Leviathans yet. I live in Latvia, Mary, so I, I yeah. am already spending way more on your games than I probably should, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. But but the question is, uh, do you plan on adding, for example, Death Stars sometime in the future? Because th- that that's a thing that I wrote about Stellaris, and that that interests me me a lot too. There, because I would love love to build like a planet-sized Death Star and then then move and destroy Alderaan somewhere there. I would love to have that, but I'm not sure when and so they will actually do it. Mm. The problem with the, I I like I would love to be able to destroy other players' plans. Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, what I like the most about Stellaris is that I think it actually is the game with uh, the hardest moral decisions, the, the, the highest cruelty potential, I think. Because, you know, you, you can't enslave people in other, in other Paradox games and, and you know, the, there's Purge there, because that's more of a fantasy setting, however. But I don't know, it was it was actually shocking to me that you put these options in the game, because it, it, it is some sort of a touchy subject. But I guess fanatical purifiers exist everywhere. I, I do like the Blorg, though. The Blorg gameplay was the most fun. But, I don't know, what, what, what made you add these, uh, add these kind of morally problematic things in Stellaris when they aren't possible for his, possible in other games? Because it's uh, fantasy or something? Yeah. Oh. Fantasy is the answer for things. Wow. And uh, on Stellaris, did you did you take inspiration inspiration from other famous famous uh, science fiction and, and fanta- science fiction settings as as well? What would be like your biggest inspiration there? Well, uh, this I, I obvious. could also Stellaris stuff because I didn't work. On Stellaris as a oh, I'm sorry. And uh, back to back to my favorite EU four and, and Crusader Kings. Then um, in Crusader Kings, yeah. you, it, it's kind of uh, interesting how you depict these massive crusades. And weirdly enough, I see some some form of you know how you have these blocks and hearts of iron. Something like these crusades happen in 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 CK two. Like some something where mass ma- mass armies declare war and it's like one one big group against other big group, 
And I know you try to simulate it with the Thirty Years' War in Europe Universalis Four, and then you have the coalitions. But uh, I don't know. I, th I think it, it's it might be missing from the game, like like World Wars or something on a bigger scale. Will, will you are are you planning on adding some some really large scale wars between massive coalitions on both sides in Europe Universalis? If you can figure something out. Uh, no, we don't have any such current plans at the moment. Hmm. Well then, if I if I may ask for a slight spoiler, what what are your what are your current like latest plans for EU EU four? Um, if you can we, if you can reveal any, such I I can't reveal plans. anything. I'm sorry, because <laughs> the PR people will kill me if I do. Oh wow, no no no, save that up for developer diaries. Yeah. What's uh, what is kind of uh, the most boring country to play, which you wouldn't recommend people people to play in EU4? I don't really think any country is boring. I don't know. And when I started when I started out playing, by the way, uh, I I tried to play as as Muscovy, and then I started to understand. I think the the mindset of of that large country and its expansions better. Because when you fight Tatars all the time and then you have to deal with a bunch of rebellions, you, you tend to you tend to turn out a bit, bit warlike. And and when you finally get to get to do some conquering, you you want to do it a bit. At least that's that's how I found out find out. And the, I want to give you some compliments for the fact that you you have captured the feel of Eastern Europe quite correctly in my eyes. As far as as far as my show is concerned, at least. Mm. Oh, that's. I don't know when when I played when I played Muscovy and formed Russia, I I felt like I was under pressure a pressure and under threat all the time, and it was a really it was an interesting experience, and it it taught me a lot about about all of these uh, modern modern day situations too, and and about the Soviet Union forming. By the way, talking about history books. Do you have any recommendations for history books for people to read? Because you said you read a lot of these history books. Oh. If... God, I wish I had, like... Because I'm sitting with my iPad and I don't have the books here or anything. It's like... And I don't have stuff in my memory anymore in my head. Well, you are obviously very... You are, you are a very busy man who works on, on these important projects. Yeah. I don't know. Um, a thing that, that came up is that uh, over here in Eastern Europe, you know, we, have, we, we have limited resources here, and uh, which, and a lot of people ask in, in the forums, which DLCs should you prioritize to buy first if you want to have like, the, the better experience of, of the games? So I don't know. Do you have any recommendations for people who maybe can't afford to buy all the DLCs? Which ones should they buy first to uh, make things better? I think better? you should look at what the community says. Um, I don't know. If I look which one I personally like the most, or like, I mean, I think Art of War, Common Sense, and Rights of Man. Yeah, I Common Sense definitely definitely hit it for me, even though. I don't know. A lot of weird complaints came about this. What's what's the weirdest complaint that you just didn't understand that people just didn't like about about your game? So, something that you thought people would like a lot, but then they didn't, and then you kind of changed it around, or you didn't really understand why people disliked something. Nothing you can really think of at the moment, though. 
um, and this is, and I, I would like to wrap this up because I've, I've been taking your time for a while now. I'd like to wrap this up because don't, don't take it in bad faith. I'm asking you this because people told me to ask you this and that's more of a joke. So <clears throat> why isn't Prussia blue? <laughs> Never gonna be blue. It's it's because Sweden is blue, right? And Sweden is blue, and France is blue, and so if Prussia is blue. Then yeah, too much and, blue. And I also, if you look at the Prussian flag, it's black and white. Yes. And uh, they have the German Wehrmacht uh, gray color, because it's like Prussia is a German country. They should have the gray color. Yeah. How do you pick colors for countries, by the way? From, um, from their colors, or or from their garbs, or just something that looks great on the map. All of them things. Well, I guess so because um, I lately I played a lot as Hamburg, and and that was orange. And then I ch- and then I shifted to Hanover, and my lovely orange went away, which was sad. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, this this is this, you, you make you make these games, and uh, I have compared them to. Now, there are other games out there, and you, you make them where you kind of lose, and then it's fun. Uh, yeah, uh, this is an important question. How do how do people like uh, learn your games? How should people get into your games? Because uh, when I started, I spent about six hours, uh, and I started with Crusader Kings 2, I spent about six hours understanding what's where, played on very easy, and then it took me two weeks until, until I could finally unite Spain, because I... I started out trying to unite Spain there, and right now with all the expansions, um, it, it's gotten really weird. How would you reco- how would you recommend people start playing your games? Because they are very complex simulations of history, and they're really really fun and deep when you get into them. But there is this well, let's let's be honest here: the learning curve of how you learn to play the game it, it's it's long and, and it's difficult. To, to, if I had a good recommendation and a good plan for it. There would not be a learning curve to talk about. So I don't really have any good advice there. I don't know. I I really liked what you did with uh, the Hearts of Iron games with uh, DDR Jake explaining uh, all the basic features there. Yeah, in the tutorial uh, trailers. Yeah, that was that was the only thing that kept me kept me not kept me in, in some understanding of of how Air Force works. And I still, at yeah. the end, I was very. I'm, the, the the air force aspect is is the, the thing that keeps me frustrated the most on Hearts of Iron because I can so I draw the front line which is hard to manage on its own, but the air force management is is something that I I can't I I just can't do it. It's uh, so much for for me. Hearts of Iron is the most complex of all the all the games that you have made and. I still will. I, I will still need a lot of effort to kind of get into it. I don't know which which game would you consider the most complex of them all? Because people say it's Wiki Two, but it's not Wiki Two if you if you automate the trade. EU Four is the most complex of all games at the moment. You think so? Yeah, when it comes to mechanics, it's far more complex than anything else. Uh, well, there. I don't know because. Because it kind of grows on you naturally, but maybe a completely new player will... Yeah, but I... Then again, all, all the facts that I have to keep in my head when playing EU4... My, my friends are now telling me that I know... I know 15th century European geography better than I know modern day European geography. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Mr. Johan. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, you you were you were great, and um, please do do come do come and visit Riga Latvia at one point. And I hope that our listeners enjoyed this conversation. They gained new insights in their favorite video games. So thank you for this, and please give give our shows a listen too, if you might. Thank you. It was great fun to be here. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the Western Border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.